The Insloan podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals, just like me and you, aged 18 and above, monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and, more importantly, more peace of mind. Also, there will be a flash sale during the Father's Day occasion where Cybionics are offering a 15% off discount for all during the 7th of June to the 16th of June. You do not need to be a father to gain the benefit from this discount. And you can find out more on the official website at www.cybionicscgm.com. Now enjoy this episode. This is the Insulone podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... If your blood sugars are just really extreme, or there's just something off about it, and you can't put your finger on it, but you know that your blood sugars are just not the same as what other diabetic women experience, then you should definitely kind of get checked out but before we get into that everything you hear on the insulone podcast is from my own personal experience and if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes please contact a medical professional now let's get stuck into this episode how's it going and welcome back to the insulone podcast i hope you are well i hope the week is treating you well so far whatever you have been up to i hope why do i keep saying i hope Anyway, my hope, my hope for you is that you've had a great week and a great day. And in today's episode, I chat with Maya Kearney. And if you have been listening to this podcast for a while, you are probably aware of the fact that Maya has previously come on the podcast when she was recently diagnosed. And I say when she was recently diagnosed in the sense that I think she was about 12 months into her diagnosis. But what made Maya's episode and diagnosis so unique was the fact that she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes very, very shortly after being diagnosed with COVID. And if you missed that episode, it's episode 65 of the podcast. And I would absolutely recommend that you listen to it because it is by far one of the most listened to and also one of the most responded to episodes of the podcast. So fascinating episode. And in today's episode, Maya comes on again, and she goes through her experience so far with a recent diagnosis of endometriosis, which is another chronic condition that affects about one in 10 women. And today she outlines how she knew something was wrong, the excruciating pain that she felt during this time, and essentially the surgery she had to undertake to get the official diagnosis of endometriosis. She also goes through a lot more the treatments, how she feels about the whole thing, and essentially what people need to look out for if potentially something like endometriosis is coming down the line. So really important episode, really enjoyable episode, and I personally learned a lot. And these are the type of episodes that I love because I'm obviously not an expert in everything as much as we would all like to be. But when I speak to people who know more about topics than I do, I also learn a lot, which is a great thing. So enjoy this episode. Chat to you soon. So what did you get up to over the weekend, apart so, from yeah. the food poisoning? 
we're just <laughs> we're just taking it easy. Yeah, I've been really chilled out this weekend, like taking it really easy. Um, like I think the most exercise I've done is going for a walk, and usually I use the weekend for my long gym sets. So, looking forward to at least getting back into you know gym and yeah. you know my proper routine next week. So, how's the health feeling now after the food poison? Because I I think my uh, over my twelve and 12 years and a few days of being a diabetic i think i've only had like one incident with bad food poison and it was like horrific kind of scary yeah and it was actually yeah. strangely enough in new york a few years ago and it was chipotle i had oh I, god and I, and I came i know i know i came when i came home <laughs> came home went to bed and then my stomach was like oh there's something going on here and i yeah. was in I, I was in bed for maybe an hour or two and then got up and it was just essentially vomiting for like six oh, hours straight, which was terrifying yeah. because you, you can't even keep water down. And then you're worried about your blood sugar. You're worried about if I go low and I'm consuming hypo treatment, am I actually going to keep it down? And it's, yeah. you know, it's kind of scary. So uh, how, how was the weekend for you food poisoning wise? <laughs> you know what? It wasn't too bad. I had a really bad food poisoning experience a few months ago. Um, and I ended up in hospital with like hydrating me because my ketones went really high yeah. and they were like, you know, yeah, luckily didn't go to DKA, but like they brought me in, gave me like hydration just to make sure that I stayed level. But this time was super, you know, like super straightforward in comparison. I like, yeah, vomited through the night the first time. And then the rest of it was just like, you know, stomach aches and needing the toilet lots and <laughs> all the fun yeah. stuff but... without going into the, the finer yeah. details <laughs> yeah nothing nothing too severe though so i'm feeling good today good good um but like i was saying to you my even before before we press record the first episode of the podcast that that we did when you were on was may 21 which is frightening to think about because yeah i remember that podcast really really well i'm sure you you probably yeah. do too you were recently diagnosed and you were recently diagnosed following having covid and it was yeah. kind of like the height of covid at that time but it was and still is my one of the most popular episodes that we have <laughs> it with the whole podcast and one that we got i think the biggest response from people around the world in terms of people email and be like, Oh, I can re resonate to Maya. I love Maya's story. I love how she, <laughs> love how she reacts to things and the insight and the depth that she went into. So fantastic podcast and no pressure for this podcast to be as good. Right? <laughs> but since our last conversation, Maya, how, how have things been? That's really great to hear. Actually. I didn't realize you'd had such a, a great response. So, so thanks for that. Um, but yeah, no. So I think where we left things last time was I actually taken to the diabetes really well. Um, I've got quite a mathematical brain, so it's not difficult for me to carb count or to spot patterns or things like this. Um, but it did all go, you know, <laughs> did go, it went to crap a little bit. Um, during this time and now it's back on track um so as you know i was diagnosed with endometriosis um if you want i can just jump straight into to what that was like but um the blood sugars and the kind of variation in the blood sugars was one of the first symptoms that i noticed so you know coming out the honeymoon phase things that 
didn't matter previously started to matter in terms of how they impact my blood sugars. One of those things was my menstrual cycle. And it started off relatively straightforward, you know, a week before, you know, one week a month, I would need to take more insulin. And that was that. But it just kept getting worse and worse, <laughs> like really bad, really variable. Um, you know, it wasn't just which week in the month was it, it was what time of day is it, you know, all these other things, it would change like the weather, like it would change month to month. So just as an example, you know, on one week, I have kind of my normal insulin requirement. And then the very next week I have, um, you know, for breakfast, I need to take twice as much insulin and I need to pre-bolus for 45 minutes. And then for lunch, maybe 35 minutes and, you know, one and a half times as much insulin. And then for dinner, you know, same amount of insulin. Unless I'm eating later, then it'd be slightly more. And the pre-bolus time varies. And it was just impossible to predict. Not only was every week of the cycle different, but I've always, um, you know, some women, they have, you know, their four-week cycle and that's that. And a lot of my friends, you know, they can track and they can predict when things are going to happen. For me, I've never had that. So sometimes it's three and a half weeks. Sometimes it's five weeks. So you can imagine when I'm talking about those week to week variations, it was also impossible for me to predict when my insulin requirements would go up. I just have to wait for them to go up and I'd have a day of awful blood sugars and then I'd make the adjustments. And then on top of that, the adjustments changed every single time. Mm. So it would be kind of like, you know, every month there'd be really like quite a few days when my blood sugars were just terrible and there was nothing I could do about it. And it was really mentally tough for someone like me that is, you know, a bit of a perfectionist. Um, simultaneously to this, um, just kind of, you know, during my menstrual cycle, I have always had kind of pain symptoms. I've always thought that it was a normal level of pain, um, but it started to get to the point where I'd need to kind of take painkillers to get through the day. Um, I might have some gut issues and some other symptoms, um, which I can go into later. Um, and all of this was happening kind of like progressively over time till it got to one week where my body just gave up on me completely. Um, like, yeah, it was a really, really tough week. Um, you know, I left work because I was feeling really dizzy, like I was going to pass out. And then I spent a week in bed in the worst pain of my life. Um, when, when I say that it's not an exaggeration, it was like, I didn't know it was possible for a human being to experience that level of pain. Like my entire body, you know, my arms, my legs, my back, my abdomen, my chest. You know, felt like I was having a heart attack. I had like migraines. I, and it wasn't just like, okay, I have a painful flare up and then in a couple of hours I'm fine. I'm talking, I wake up at 6 a.m. with this level of pain. Obviously, I'm taking painkillers through the day um, to bring it down from a 11 out of 10 to a nine out of 10. And then it, there's no break from it. Um, I go to bed, I need to take codeine to sleep. You know, I can't sleep without codeine. And the codeine doesn't really get rid of the pain, but it does make me very sleepy. 
So then I'll go to bed and then I'll wake up at 6am and, and it repeats. And it was really like forgetting just the mental impact of this happening all of a sudden. It was really traumatizing, you know, to, to just like the level of pain itself was traumatizing. I remember when it was finished, I was just really scared of it happening again. And it felt, and I knew it would because it was linked to my menstrual cycle. So, um, but yeah, no, the pain was just, I mean, I, I, I won't bang on because it's, it's not the point of what we're doing, but it, it was just unlike anything I've experienced. And um, yeah, I realized kind of, yeah, so that was for five days straight. Then there was two days where it was um, a, a bit better. And then after that, it was back to normal, <laughs> like business as usual. And I was kind of thinking, what's going on? Um, I did realize that it was linked to, you know, the fact that I was um, on my period. So I suspected it was endometriosis. And, you know, I went to see a doctor and it was quite a complex diagnostic process, which, you know, I can go into later. But I think that's the that was the turning point where, you know, I went on the path to diagnosis and after some time, things started to get better. And as a result, also my blood sugars started to get better. So, yeah. Mm. Wow. I had no idea why it was like <laughs> that intense for you. Yeah. 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 It was, it was crazy. I mean, um, the thing about um, endometriosis is it's, progressive um if it's left untreated so probably what was happening is i was having like an unusual amount of pain for a while but um it's one of these things where as women these things are so individual anyway and then on top of that there's a lot of kind of misinformation around what's normal and what's not so i think probably mild cramps are normal but needing paracetamol and ibuprofen, maybe that's where you get more towards the the kind of, you know, there's issues like PCOS, endometriosis, that sort of thing. But because the way we talk about it is as if any level of pain is normal, you don't realize something's wrong until something big happens. And um, that's why endometriosis goes so underdiagnosed you know one in ten women have the condition it's a really really common condition um but on average it takes seven years from onset of symptoms to be diagnosed um it's yeah yeah and it's really difficult to diagnose too there's um you know unless it's in the really advanced stages um a lot of women they only get diagnosed because they're trying for children and they have fertility problems or they, um, you know, that when it's in the early stages, you know, for example, you need a surgery to get diagnosed. You can't just get a scan and it's diagnosed. It's like a whole kind of going under the knife and, you know, an- general anesthetic and things like this. So doctors can also be quite hesitant to put women through unnecessary surgery but also I think there's probably a little bit of a shortage of doctors that are able to do the surgery because it's quite a specialized procedure that you have to train quite a while for. So all those things combined, you know, women will just go years and years and years kind of undiagnosed. Um, and I was really lucky that I got quite a quick diagnosis in the, in the grand scheme of things. 
So did you, Maya, have to go through that entire process as well? As, as you say, like, did you specifically have to go, to use your term, under the knife for it to be confirmed? Yeah, yeah. So the, the diagnostic process was, um, you know, I went to the doctor and explained my symptoms and they said, yep, sounds like endometriosis. We'll refer you to a specialist. First specialist I saw was honestly uh, a little dismissive. You know, I got the sense that she maybe it was a woman too. She thought that maybe I was a little dramatic or I don't know. Um, she didn't necessarily get the reason why I wanted answers. Um, so, you know, I had to kind of make a second appointment with someone else. Coincidentally, it was a, a man a male doctor who initially I'd gone with the woman because I thought the woman would be more understanding. Mm. And then when she wasn't, I went with the man and he was super understanding. Like he, he one of the best doctors I've ever had. Um, he actually won an award because the review I wrote him was like so good. Oh, that wow. He won an award <laughs> for like the best review. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so he was, he was like amazing. Um, I'm really understanding. He gave me a scan. Um, and that ruled out issues with my ovaries, which can cause similar symptoms. And then he gave me, I think it was an MRI scan, and that ruled out deep infiltrating endometriosis, which is the most severe form. Um, and then I had a surgery, and the surgery confirmed that I had it. He also managed to cut it out. So um, it didn't cure me because it's a chronic condition but it removed all the endometriosis, you know, all the growths that were actually in my body at that point in time. So it kind of reset me to zero and gave me a chance to rebuild from there. And it may come back. It may not. It, I think it has based on the symptoms I've had, but definitely not, you know, nowhere, <laughs> nowhere near as bad as that one week where I was just, you know, that I described before. Mm. So were you given any clarity, Maya, around is this in any way related to your diabetes or is it just that you were susceptible to going through this anyway? Like, is there a connection with type one diabetes and endometriosis or is it just a relatively common condition for people to experience, as you said, one in 10 women will experience it? Yeah. So it's a really common condition for women, one in 10. In terms of the details of the condition, it's a really poorly understood one because, um, you know, I mentioned the issues with the diagnostic process, but it also, it, it's only really come to light recently, I think, at least from what I've read, how serious the condition is because, um, you know, with it being kind of specifically a women's health thing and such a subjective thing around the level of pain and things like this, it's taken a lot of awareness and a lot of public awareness and things like this for it to get the attention it deserves. So even though I've been, you know, doing my Googling and trying to figure out if there's a link and it, you know, it, there's definitely a rabbit hole you could go down to, 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 to try and understand that at the moment, there's no official answer for whether it, there's a link between endometriosis and, you know, most conditions, um, and like diabetes is no exception. What I will say though for women's health in particular is, um, sorry, in general, is there's definitely like a um, a strong kind of uh, impact 
you know, even for a healthy woman, just from having a menstrual cycle and having to go through the different things women go through, um, it can lead to, you know, kind of like worse health outcomes for, for women just through having that additional complication to manage. And then there's also, um, I mean, I don't suffer with this, fortunately, but there's polycystic ovary syndrome, which there's a really strong link with type 1 diabetes there. That's also about 1 in 10 in the general population. And then it's 1 in 4 for type 1 diabetic women. So I think probably as time goes on, we'll have more answers around this stuff. But at the moment, it's a little bit of a black box. Mm. So sorry, no, great, great <laughs> answer, and I appreciate the detail that you go into. Yeah, is it a case of there's not really any signs or symptoms until it gets to a stage where potentially you have this experience, like this pain experience, that's almost too unbearable to ignore? Is that the only way that you kind of knew? God, there's there's something really wrong here. Yeah, for me, yes, but. I mean, the interesting thing about the condition is there's actually very little cor correlation between severity of pain and severity of, you know, where you are on the in the illness. So I was reading about, you know, watching TED Talks and stuff, and th this was kind of like pre-diagnosis where I was trying to figure out, I was just trying to figure things out, I guess, and I watched some videos about it. But there's cases of women who have stage four where um actually I realized I should just take a step back because not maybe not everyone will understand this, but um essentially what endometriosis is is um when you have, you know, a menstrual cycle or a period, you know, your womb lining kind of grows and then it sheds. And with women with endometriosis, that womb lining will grow outside of your womb as well as inside your womb. And then that causes this kind of like big response from your body where it's trying to kind of attack it and get rid of it because it sees it as almost like a foreign thing. And that can be responsible for some of the pain symptoms and the other symptoms. Um, so, you know, in the early stages, which is thankfully what I had, it would be small growths kind of outside of your womb. So I think mine was around my pouch of Douglas and one of my ovaries, you know, that type of thing. But um, it can get more and more severe to where it's found inside your bladder, inside your um, intestines. Some women, they get it so severe that they literally have like organs fused together. And like, you know, it's just like wrapped around kind of all their organs and they found it even in people's arms and people's backs and chests. So like it can really, it can be so different woman to woman. And there isn't really a correlation between how severe it is and the level of pain you have. So women who experience infertility, for example, usually it will grow um, in the fallopian tubes, which is kind of which where the eggs will, you know, when you're trying to get pregnant, um, the, that's an you know it's important that they're healthy and stuff for getting pregnant so those women might experience infertility but they may not experience pain and then the mm -hmm. pouch of douglas where i have it i think that's a particularly painful spot but it, it's relatively like harmless in the grand scheme of things and then deep infiltrating is usually super painful and super you know severe 
but also some women you know they go their whole lives not noticing anything's wrong so it's 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 really 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 dependent on the person um mm. and yeah for me yeah i just went kind of however long it was not realizing anything was was wrong maybe realizing that i was a little out of the ordinary compared to my friends and then um yeah you know the blood sugars were definitely affected by it and then yeah i mean i that week was like a big you know right red flag that that made me realize i had it is there any i suppose because the the let's call them signs or symptoms where you're in a lot of pain that not everybody feels and potentially you can become infertile or you have infertility issues because it's seemingly like completely internal for somebody that doesn't experience either of those is there anything that they can look out for visually symptom wise maya where they could th- say oh this thing doesn't look right or like I'm, I'm seeing this thing on my skin or like is there anything visually that can signify that potentially i have endometriosis yeah so i'm gonna get a little um graphic here so <laughs> that's it's just important. a little warning it's, a, it's if important. people are squeamish um so some women find uh that the actual kind of when they have their period it's different so if there's blood clots or if there's um like a lot of discharge or things like this or if you have you know heavy period some women find that that's actually the only sign and symptom they have um you can look online and find out what the normal number of um like products so like sanitary towels tampons that type of thing you can look online and they have guidelines for how many you should use in a day and i think it's like six in total in 24 hours of either or so if if you're a woman and you're you know significantly higher than that then um that's definitely you know a a sign but in terms of you know marks on your body or you know growths or anything like that that it's not really visual in that way you have to really pay attention to your cycle and and if anything's off especially you know for women with diabetes who are probably listening i would say if if your blood sugars are just really extreme or um there's just something off about it and you can't put your finger on it but you know that your blood sugars are just not the same as what other diabetic women experience then you should definitely kind of get checked out because for me that was the first symptom before any of these other symptoms and even though medically there's not necessarily like the level of evidence there like I really firmly believe that there's a massive link between the two um and I think it can be the first I think it can be the first symptom that that presents in probably a lot of diabetic women Mm. so you said obviously this is a chronic condition and there's there's seemingly no cure what does life look like for you now my in terms of treatment is there something that you need to do consistently is there a way that you manage this is there like medication that you take or yeah like what's what's changed for you now since so the surgery as i said reset me to almost ground zero um and the surgery 
for most women and definitely for me, it does really relieve symptoms and things do get better after the surgery. Um, usually then they will put you on the pill and the pill basically, uh, it's the contraceptive pill. It basically stops ovulation. So um, you can take it for kind of like three months at a time. And it means that you have less kind of cycles in a year. This is based on the theory that um, have like less menstrual cycles will mean that the the growths that I mentioned earlier, they have less of a chance to grow. So it's supposed to slow the progression. I will mention that this is not a medically proven um, kind of, it's not medically proven that it does definitely slow the growth. So it really also comes down to, you know, what's best for you. And, and if you feel that that's not for you, then there's, it's not like there's any science saying, you know, you have to do this. Um, but it's definitely helped with symptoms for me at the very least. Um, because there's not too much kind of medical treatment, uh, a lot of women, myself included, turn to kind of holistic treatments. Um, you know, I'm not saying go and take all the supplements and, you know, everything that's marketed, but just like most of us see with diabetes, um, diet plays a huge role and diet can really, really um, help with symptoms. Like I think we're actually lucky as diabetics because we, you know, eat a burger or we eat some quinoa or we eat a pizza or we eat a salad and we see the impact immediately that this has on our body through our CGMs. So it can really, you know, if you pay attention to that, you can really see the impact that different foods have on your body. And with endometriosis and other conditions, it's obviously going to be a little bit slower and not quite as instant, but you can start to figure out which foods are good for you and which foods are not. So for me personally, I try and eat as many, you know, plants and whole foods as possible, um, try and cook myself as much as I possibly can. Um, I try and have lots of omega-3, lots of vitamin C, and I try and avoid red meat, uh, dairy for myself personally, and, um, you know, uh, getting as much as as much fiber as possible. And I have noticed that when I follow this diet, I have like much kind of better symptoms. Um, you know, it's almost as if I can have like a normal life and not have to worry about the endometriosis and it mm. just makes things so much easier. Yeah. As if my dealing with type one wasn't complex enough <laughs> to say the least if you've, you've all you've this other thing now to deal with um is i know obviously you've, you've kind of pointed out a couple of times that there's no definitive correlation between type one and and endometriosis but you said and you touched on even prior and in in one of the emails as well that you sent us was that the fact that you felt i think how you put it exactly was you felt as if your management went downhill for like a year mm -hmm. year and a half what do you mean specifically by that? And do you personally feel like potentially that has had had a correlation with the endometriosis or do you think it's just you were susceptible to it anyway? That was part one of this episode. 
if you are listening to this on the day of the release, part two will be out tomorrow. But if you're listening on any other day, part two is the next episode on our list. 